afford to be This is small town music This is big town music He's ahead of his time, you know But he can't use it If only he could prove it Well, tomorrow's just a song away A song away A song away Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis. And I'm Murray Valeriano. And I'm Kyle Dotson. And joining us tonight in the studio, we, we've been trying to get him for a couple weeks now. Busy dude, uh, he, a busy dude. You know, he's busy and he's going to tell us how busy he is. Uh, one of my favorite drummers, Murray, can you say the same thing? Um, how many times have I texted you saying, hey, I'm watching Fogarty live at the Hell Ray and Kenny's playing. Hey, I, I just looked up Kenny. He looks great. Yeah, all the yeah. time. Yeah, definitely so, our favorite drummer. So, uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Kenny Aronoff. How are you doing, Kenny? Good, very good. Thanks for making time, man. You are one busy guy. Kenny just told us he could walk here. That's how close he lives to our, yeah. uh, to our studio. Yeah. So, uh, Kenny, you're in the middle of, uh, let me see if I, you're, you're writing your autobiography. Well, I've, let me just start this way. I've spent, sure. I've spent my whole life trying to be as busy as I can, and I succeeded. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm getting the point where I'm pissing people off because, I mean, you know, I, I book something, <laughs> and then it's solid, four days of recording, and then all of a sudden I get a two-week tour. Uh, somebody wants to do a session coming up, and I have to go to Detroit and film something. Uh, I mean, it just, it's, it's, so, it's become so complex. You know, there's uh, you know multiple tours. I'm on sure. the, the the regular ones are John Fogarty, the Bodines, whenever I can. Mm -hmm. But um, then I have my own studio, Uncommon Studios LA, which is just up the road on Lancashire. So I'm constantly recording. You know, people send me files right. or, or come in. Um, and then this autobiography uh, is. I had now I know why people don't write books. It's been three years, and then this is the crunch time. I'm supposed to be. I would be writing it right now, and that's why I kept turning it down yeah. to come in here because, I mean, all of a sudden I had to read 350 pages, and I had, I mean, then within the first paragraph I was already making edits. Right. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm sure. finding out how anal I am. <laughs> I mean, I'm over the top. And so then I went through 350 pages. The book was originally handed in at 600 pages. Uh -huh. It's contracted for 300. That's the magic number, 300. Yeah. But... The, the only way I could write this book was I had kept calendars of every year uh, uh, from 77, so I knew everything I did. It was only just because I wanted to know what session, what tour, what everything, where was I? Yeah, that's uh, And I just kept, and I, had, I kept them. So I made a, a list of, let's say, 1996 sessions, live shows, uh -huh. and my personal life. And I dictated this, and it came over 600 pages. They handed wow. it in, and they called up and went, <laughs> no dude, way, dude, no way. You're not, you're yeah. not. Uh, First of all, it's, a, it's boring. I mean, and. Oh, I bet I, it's not. And, well, you know what I'm You know, it might be boring to you, but I think to fans, nah, it, it's it, not. It, it's making me ill right now. It's like, it <laughs> literally sounds like an egomaniac talking about, and then I did, and then I did, and I did, and it's, ex but it's the truth. I mean, the, the thing is, it's the truth, and we've left out so many sessions where I clump like, you know, guys like Dylan, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, I might call Bon Jovi, Dylan, Bob Seger, Iggy Pop, all in one little thing. And then yeah. I did that. I mean, the reason why it's obnoxious is because I work so hard, like I said, to become very, very busy. Yeah. I'll explain why. Um, that suddenly I became very, very busy. I mean, there's a part of, literally, I would walk out of Blaze of Glory, mm -hmm. Bon Jovi for two weeks, literally walk the next day into Elton John for two days, walk the next day across the street or down the road to do uh, 
a Bob Seger, take a red eye to Atlanta, do the Indigo Girls, take <laughs> another flight back four days later, do Bob Seger, then Nashville, do Willie Nelson. That was normal. Or it was two weeks where I was like rehearsing with Fogarty. First time he's going to do Creedence Clearwater, rehearse from 12 to 6. First time he's going to play those songs sure. live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had one hour to get to a session in a valley to do work with Roy Bitten from Springsteen's band. From 7-Eleven and from midnight to 6, I was recording with the Rolling Stones. Jeez. And on the weekend, Bon Jovi. That was just, this that was like a, This sounds like a horrible life, Kenny. And that's yeah, page yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. And what I called it, and I, what I said was like, and this just seemed right. Yeah. <laughs> it just seemed, I, uh, see, I was doing Patti Smythe, which uh, she had like a huge successful uh, record. And on the weekends, I was racing from the studio on Fridays to catch a plane in San Francisco to start with uh, uh, Chris Isaac. And then Sunday mm. night, race to the airport so I could be here in the morning to start with Patty again. That was just normal. <laughs> normal. I, for one, am glad you rescheduled this because I wasn't going to be able to make yeah, it. Yeah, right. So I, oh, I was really good. stoked when you when he called and said you got you to come on the show. And what's funny is like when I would be talking to my friends and stuff, they'd say, did you record with Kenny yet? And, I'm say, and I said, no, not yet. We were supposed to. And they were like, did he cancel? I go, he has never canceled. He's rescheduling because yeah. you... And every 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 time you said you know what, can we do it next week? Yeah. And you would say, because this. I'm like, well, yeah, of course. Yeah. Because you had like, you, you didn't say like, I don't want to do it. You were just like, I have to, uh, Joan Jett added a new song to the set list was one of the things you told me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, I, was, I was supposed to go out with Joan Jett. And I did play one show with her. And, uh, but what happened is they needed somebody for longer uh, than the amount of time. Mm. And I, I would have had to cancel so much stuff. You know, so so I, you're I, not going to go on that tour. I am not. It's on right now. I was going to go okay. on for three weeks with Joan Jett. Played one show here. Mm -hmm. It was awesome. It was, oh, great! Where was it? Was it? So fucking. It was a fashion show, which was like high ticket. Mm -hmm. Everybody. This is a big LA fashion show, right. and we played. Uh, you know, like Beck played, and um, oh, I forget the first band, but <coughs> the um, thing was that, yeah, they, you know, I was supposed to open up the first show was. After that was going to be Madison Square Garden uh -huh. opening up the Who for the Who, wow. and, and I, you know, scheduling you just couldn't do it. So anyway, well, let me ask you something about this. When uh, well, you know what? Before before we keep talking, Kyle, I just want to I just want to give everyone a little bit uh, a taste of Kenny Aronoff's drumming. Kyle, could you play us a little bit of Justice and Independence '85? Oh yeah. Yeah, that's a good place to start. Smoking, right? definitely. Wow. The, uh, you know, the, the, Kenny, I've played that many times in my really? car on my steering wheel. Dude, and that, now you got to see him air drum it. I know. <laughs> well, that was great. I, I had to come up with that on the spot. This is where John would be so I need a drum solo right now. <laughs> right now. And the thing is with John, you better, when you record, if that first take, most likely he's going to go for it, even if you fuck up. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. loves to hear fuck ups within reason. He wants that rawness on there. He, he, 
he would fucking laugh at anybody who puts anything on the grid. He'd fucking punch him in the face, kick him out of his, what the fuck are you doing putting something on the grid? What does that Sam, mean? I don't know what that means on grid the grid. means is what a lot of people do now because they're not co- capable or competent to fucking record drums in time mm-hmm. or with a feel. They mm-hmm. take the, the, the shitty tracks and then they can put it in a program that locks everything up Ugh. perfectly to the grid. Everything is perfectly... So it's sliding it to the beat. Slides it to the nearest 16th or whatever you could. And it sounds clean and it sounds perfect, perfectly shitty in my opinion. (laughs) Because everybody can sound the same. Right. And then you put a sample on it. It's now, as I say that sucks and it's shitty, it is become the norm. Mm -hmm. But then again, mediocrity has become the norm. You don't get any. Mediocrity has become the norm. People are accepting shit. The thing is, why do we keep people like listening to Led Zeppelin? Man, that shit feels so good. Yeah. You cannot imitate it. It, it, it. It's 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 raw. It's natural. It's it's it's, and for and it's so perfect. And that's hard for four people to play together and play that good and sound that good and feel that good. But John likes things to feel natural and organic. So that's my my that's what started the whole rant. Well, let me tell. <laughs> I'll tell you something. The and the years you were with Mellencamp. Um, those albums sound incredible. Those, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I'm going to be honest, and I've said it on this show before, so I'm not kissing your ass too much. After you were gone, I lost interest. And I'm, I'm being straight up honest well, with you. Know, you. I think a lot of things was that I'm extremely competitive with myself. Mm-hmm. John's extremely competitive. John, uh, see, how do I put this real quick so I don't waste the whole hour? But John, I never understood when I got in the band that he was so intense and so like angry <laughs> and, and, and like, you know, I would, you know, he was a fucking angry motherfucker. Well, see, as an outsider, whenever I would see him on interviews well, or anything, it always, he always felt like that's how he was. You thought so? I did, yeah. Well, okay, when I would see him on MTV or anything, yeah, I'm here's like, what that it was. guy's cranky. Okay, so I thought, cranky. the fuck, yeah. I was just happy to be playing drums and on MTV, yeah. right? I went from a bar to suddenly, in eight years, playing in arenas and mm-hmm. private jet and sex drugs and rock and roll and chicks everywhere and Ritz Carlton's and we were rock stars. John, before I'd gotten the band, had uh, he made a record and his manager was Tony DeFreeze who managed uh, Bowie. Mm-hmm. And um, he, when the record came out, he, he threw the record across the table and John John went, who the, who the fuck's Johnny, uh, Johnny Cougar? He little says, little that, Johnny Cougar, I think, at one point. No, it was Johnny Cougar. Just Johnny Cougar, he says, okay. That's you. He says, that's not me. My name's John Mellencamp. He says, it's you if you want this record to come out. Oh, wow. John, after that record, didn't do well. He lost his deal. So not only did he lose his deal, but his name's Johnny Cougar. Mm-hmm. He was a proud motherfucker. John mm-hmm. Mellencamp's my name. He came from, his grandfather was in fistfights at age seven. These guys were bricklaying, cementlaying <laughs> motherfuckers. You didn't <laughs> fuck with them. You fuck with their name? That was like horrible. So John was fighting. And, when, and he lost his deal. He was climbing telephone poles and working for the telephone company. Wow. He got another deal. I mean, he went up to do a, a showcase in Schaumburg, Illinois, thinking he was the only band showcasing. And when he got up there, he saw five other bands. He was livid. Mm. The, he didn't get the deal with the, the, the people that he thought he was, he was hoping to get a deal mm. with. But Rod Stewart's manager's second-in-command was there to see another band and was looking and said, he's from England, the, 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 they're from England, the management's from England, said, that guy's a star. They signed him. Wow. And under the wings of Rod Stewart, and when I record with Rod, we always laugh about this. I paid for John's records. <laughs> and I said, that's right. And John's money paid for somebody else's. Right, yeah. That's the way it worked. That's you know? right. So, um, yeah, I mean, so John was always in fear of going back to those telephone. Once, some people, when 
the human condition is when sometimes you get burned and you go through a, a trauma, mm-hmm. you don't forget it. Whether it's a divorce, car accident, whatever it is, disease, you're traumatized. This guy, I'm, I'm just in my speculation. Yeah. This guy never forgot that he lost his deal. And he was, you know, fighting. And so that's why when we put out a record, I had, you know, we put a record, do well. We were back in the studio in very quickly because mm. we knew that you could be a flash and pan. We saw him come and go up high and down low. And we, we just didn't stop. We'd never stopped for eight years. Yeah. The cycle was two years. Rehearse for a record, go and make a record. Could, that takes a year. Rehearse for tour, do promo, and go on the road for uh, a year, take a month off and start again. Wow. And, 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 and you guys just didn't make records, though. You, those are great records. Yeah. Well, like, you guys, it wasn't like you were giving us, uh, what do I want to say, just a, a sophomore slump type of well, deal. Those were like, great all, records. In all fairness, though, because of the state of the music business, which is pretty shitty right now, once again, the musicians are getting fucked. We, we back then, we thought we were getting fucked, but there was money. People were selling product. How do businesses stay in business? They sell, they sell product, make money, then they reinvest in the business. So even though people, musicians might have been getting fucked over, the record labels were making money, but they were also giving the band money. So say, record maybe a record company makes uh, 82 cents on the dollar mm-hmm. for everything that's sold. So they're making most money. But they're also, they got that big machinery. In all fairness, they're getting that shit out there. They got money to get you... Get your record made. Got money to promote the record. They got money to, to get it on the radio. We're talking millions. Yeah. They got money to put you on tour. They got power to put you in places. They have a whole system. And yeah. in all fairness, if a record company's working their butt off, it's amazing. And uh, it's a great. And, and, and an artist couldn't do it on their own. But now there's no money. Mm-hmm. So but let me back up. With that money, we could go in the studio and spend a year on a record. And some band, and so we threw away a lot of crap. Yeah, yeah. That's my point. There was room for experimenting. I, uh, uh, whenever we wanted that record, after I was like had this mammoth drum sound from like Scarecrow mm-hmm. and Jubilee, mm-hmm. and I had the the snare sound of the eighties. Yeah. I mean, it was like, and and by the way, John wanted the drums so loud in the mix, which was great for me. Sure. His, you know what he said when remember hurt so good off American mm-hmm. Fool. Yeah. He got in a fist fight with somebody at the studio on Fairfax at Cherokee. This guy says, you can't play your records that loud in the speakers. You're blowing our speakers up. John jumped on Ghana Headlock, stood hitting him and saying, listen, cocksucker, I'm paying for this studio. I'll blow up anything I want. <laughs> and, and John said, I want our, that song to blow any song that came on the radio before us. And and he's and dwarf any song that comes on after us, and he did. Yeah, the, and these, yeah, these records are mixed so well. Like the drums are like front and center, but so is the guitar and so they're, is the they're, rhythm guitar. It's it's they're left and right, and they're yeah. very. There's, we were scared making hurt so good because we were thinking you had to layer and put all the stuff, and mm-hmm. we did the ACDC approach, which was like minimal stuff, mm-hmm. and it sounds louder. How many times have I gone to the studio and they're trying to? Check out how the the room the control room sounds. What do they got? Back and black on. Yeah, because oh, you yeah. can hear everything. You can hear the three dimensions. You can hear the air between the instruments. You can hear clarity, and that's a great reference track. So, hurt so good was kind of in that vein, meaning minimal, great great tones on every single instrument, every tom, every snare, every and they and but you could hear it all because there wasn't a lot of clutter. There wasn't loops and layering and and 
And is this uh, how much does Don Gaiman have to do with this Don sound? Was, Don was very involved. Don was chasing after what John wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. Here and and I'll tell you that was the turning point for me because I was coming from a classical fusion jazz background at that point, and I wanted to be you know in Mahavishnu Orchestra. And and when I sat down at Cherokee Studios and we listened to playback, and I remember specifically going. God damn, man, Stuart Copeland gets all the cool drum beats with the parts with, you know, the police. And I'm playing this dumb, dumb Paul Bunyan dinosaur type rock beat. And all of a sudden I shut up and I heard those drums come through the speaker loud. You know, and I went, holy shit, man, I can, I can feel... Everything I was thinking, everything I was feeling, it was like it was literally a, it had completely given me, memorized and spit back to me every second I was playing what I was feeling and thinking. Mm -hmm. And I went, how the fuck does that happen? Hands, um, human emotion to sticks, to heads, to mics, to wire, to a tape, and I can feel what I was feeling. I was blown away. And that's when I was sold, that mm -hmm. playing less is more, Instead of looking through a, a telescope, I started looking through a microscope. I went the other direction and started realizing, holy shit, there's so much power in, in playing this way, you know? And uh, anyway, so yeah, we, you know, we, we had time. There was money. There was time to mm -hmm. develop stuff, experiment. So we went like, we had this great sound on Scarecrow and Jubilee. All of a sudden, we did whenever we wanted. John said, I'm changing the drum sounds. And I went, why would you do that? Went to a big, deep wood snare drum, the opposite of my 5x14 mm -hmm. metal mm -hmm. snare drum, tuned high. This was like low, put me in the vocal booth. We moved my drum set for two weeks in four different rooms. And were you pleased with the outcome? Because I, I love that record. Yeah, I was. I actually was. I really I, love I, that I was, album. I was kicking and fighting the whole way. But that record was good. That was like great love and happiness. Oh. I mean, that, yeah. John, the way, the, the method of us making a record, John would play a song on an acoustic guitar. Uh -huh. And he'd go, all right, dude, like crumble down. He played on acoustic guitar. He says, don't fuck it up, man. This is a great song. Don't fuck it up. And I had to come up with a beat. Sounds Honest. like a little bit of pressure. Yeah, it was always a lot of pressure. <laughs> but you know what? I get it now, man. In the book, I praised John for that. So I was, I, I, I resented him back then. But now I go like, God, I get it. I didn't realize, I didn't know he was going through all that shit. You know, mm -hmm. that pressure. Mm -hmm. You know, that record, Aha uh -huh record, for uh, it came after we'd won a Grammy, uh, uh, Make an American Fool. Yeah. And and by the way, that we'd been dropped. The the guy you had been dropped from the label. Label because they that, thought that sold we, five million copies. American Fool. Uh, I don't think did it. That's okay. what Wikipedia yeah. tells me. Okay, so check this out. They thought we should be Neil Diamond, who who you've played with. Yeah, <laughs> well, you did your homework. So check this out. We're at that same studio, Cherokee. Mm -hmm. Guy comes in, nerdy vice president of some label, and we're playing this great song. We thought we did it. We've done it. You know, he heard it and he went, "I, I don't get it." John walked him to the door <laughs> of the studio, kicked him in the ass into the fucking. Onto the uh, pavement, <laughs> lost our deal. Now, oh, when wow. you say John kicked, you're not, you're not. He really did. Yeah, yeah that's he right. Oh no, he did. He physically kicked him, and he asked, "Get the fuck out of here." <laughs> and um, <laughs> we lost our deal, of course. But when that record did well and won a Grammy and had two singles in mm -hmm. the top ten, mm -hmm. and let me clarify. When you were number one back then, this isn't this like AC charts or some alternative country mm -hmm. chart. When you were number one back then. You were, you couldn't get us off the radio yeah. anywhere. Right. We yeah. were everywhere because it was the, the the predominant charts were 
top 100 singles mm-hmm. and then the the album was uh you know uh, the top 200 yeah and you had two formats basically which was like the uh the hit singles and then you had alternative radio alternative would play a whole record and then they and they would play everything and then the hit radio stations would be watching to see st- the statistics of who how many with the people calling in yeah. request lines and they'd say they want that one then they'd play that song on the top 100 and when you became number one there was no question you were number one you that number one dwarfed any chart that existed hmm. so with back then number one meant, and well we were number one with that <laughs> let's hear a little bit of uh jack and diane oh well, this kenny's like, this song was off the record don't fuck it up pat pat don't fuck it up <laughs> So let it rock, let it roll, let the Bible Belt come and save my soul. Hold on to 16 as long as you can. Change is coming around real soon, make us women and men. Now, Kenny, I also want to, back then when you were number one, you were competing against Michael Jackson and Madonna and Springsteen and Eye of the Tiger and all the, so many, like every, I mean, it was, early 80s was crazy. Prince, I mean, unbelievable competition out there. Yeah, I know. We felt the pressure. And when Jack and Diane, uh, Hurt So Good was the first release. And it took off. Now, let yeah. me say, that's how we got our record deal back. I heard recently that when we lost a deal, somebody test marketed it hurt so good, mm-hmm. and it went crazy. Everyone In the markets that they tested on the radio, when radio was powerful, people went nuts and went, oh, my God, we better sign this band back. <laughs> got our deal back. Put it on. It, it, it went to number two and stayed there and mm-hmm. stayed there and stayed there. And uh, we made a video. And this, John started making videos in Indiana. So suddenly the whole world's like, Wow. They, I mean, it was like, is that a real place? And we did that in a bar in Medora. Yeah, the biker even, bar, right? Yeah, yeah those yeah. were just, real Indiana bikers. Every one of those videos. Was one of those chicks on the <laughs> Was it the woman missing the tooth? I always remember that girl Probably, missing the tooth yeah. in the video. <laughs> no, that, that girl's ugly. Oh, no. No, on the bar. The girls, oh, oh, the strippers. Oh, oh, now gotcha, I got to look gotcha, at gotcha. that video. Oh, man. dude. The, uh, there was anything off that bar was so ugly, including me. <laughs> no. That was real play. So when that, you guys were making a video, you guys were probably like, what, 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 what is this? What do we do? You guys probably didn't even... No, there was a director. Early on. There, was a, there director. was a director. Yeah, but, yeah. There what, was a director. And did John kick him in the ass or everything uh, was cool? John, John, <laughs> I don't, no, I, I don't, not in that particular video. He okay. didn't. But there was a, they had a script and they just, you know, we had scenes and... You know, At this point, Kenny playing. has sex with the girl on the bar and then we... <laughs> well, that was years later I had sex with her. Oh, okay. <laughs> the bass player got a blowjob from the other one. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> so, but that was... Those were real people. Uh-huh. Those were real... That's why they couldn't dance. They were dancing like hillbilly white guys. But yeah. the point is, John was bringing... John decided more and more that he wanted to do back everything back there and he, he was showing America... It's probably cheaper uh, to do it uh, back there too. Probably, yeah. yeah. It was... Yeah, and, and he... 
he was he was showing John was showing he was owning Indiana mm-hmm. the Midwest like Springsteen owned Jersey yeah and 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 Bob Seger had Detroit you yeah. know the, he was taking claim of that and showing people I mean when you got into Scarecrow Pink Houses Small Town it was cool that that he was doing that and uh, anyway so the the, it, the song was killing and then they decided to release Jack and Diane because they thought Hertzgood was starting to go down still in the top ten mm-hmm. wouldn't go down it stayed. Jack and Diane came up. We had two singles in the top ten. Jack and Diane went to wow. number one. Uh, it was all of a sudden we were on the map. So when we went to make the next record, John was scared shitless. I remember being in the in the Chateau Marmont Hotel. Went to one number one. I had literally one second of joy and I got shit scared. I went, we're number one. Oh my god, can we do this again? Oh my god, can I do this again? Oh, we're not really number one. Oh my god, how are we gonna do this? Do we got it in this man? That was hard to do that record. Man, we two guys got fired. I almost got in a fist fight with John. This can we do this again? Are we really? Not? That's what was going through yeah. my head. And then uh, the the follow up, the Uh Huh album, you guys re- that was recorded according to the liner notes. That was recorded quickly. It was because John decided to start. He says, "Fuck going to L.A. and New York and and Miami to mm-hmm. make records. I want to make records at home." We made that record, and his sister lived in a little shack on a pig farm in southern Indiana. Went down there, and, and John talked to Don Game. He says, can, "Do you think we can turn this little building?" into uh, uh, this little house into a studio. I said, yeah, I can bring a mobile unit up from Miami and we can put it in here and they figured it out and he told his sister, listen, I'll, I'll put the drywall, fix that place up. We destroyed that place, but <laughs> we'll fix it up and, and we'll give it back to you after a year. And what we did was he brought in Mitch Ryder. Oh, yeah. We did... Uh, Never wait. Never kick a sleeping dog or something. And we did. And we did a Prince cover called "When You Were Mine." And we experimented recording in there, and it worked out great. And then that's we did. Uh huh. We did it real fast. Pink houses, uh, authority song, and crumbling down. We didn't do that. The album was done, Mm -hmm. and that's when John called me up and went, "The album was done." This is what a lot of great artists will do this sometimes go like it's done he goes like we don't have a single I don't think we have a single nope he writes crumbling down he says Kenny I'm coming over to your house right now I got this song and he comes in with Larry and it's just two acoustic guitars and he starts going now, now, now don't fuck this up dude this song has got to be our next I'm like holy shit <laughs> and he's playing and I'm like with my fingers I go I go, well, first I go, I hear that. I was starting to learn how to, I was listening, trying to get outside of me and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and think about the song. And so I started with my foot going. And of course, my right finger, I was hitting, or left hand, I was hitting the snare with my finger. Uh-huh. I didn't want to play loud in case that was the bad beat. Yeah, I didn't want right. to fuck it up. And it would go. I'd hit the hi-hat in the mm-hmm. hole. And John didn't stop. That means he likes it. And that became our first single. Yeah. Now, let me go back and say, I didn't know, and I'll ask drummers this all the time. I'll go, what's the purpose of a drummer? And let's go back even further and go, what was my purpose mm-hmm. as a drummer in the John Mellencamp band or any singer-songwriter? Nobody will answer this right. But my purpose... It's the drummer, ultimately. Bottom line is to get his fucking song on the radio and be number one. <laughs> That's it. So every, people can be drumming on the, every, on the dashboard yeah, of their car. Every decision I make, tuning, sitting, what mm-hmm. sticks, any decision, 
fall feeds into my purpose, and that purpose is to get John's song on the radio to be number one. John never told me that. Mm-hmm. No, I only came up with this. I mean, I I thought about, it, but I never said it like this until mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Let me uh, let me. We've been talking about Indiana stuff. Where are you originally from, Kenny? I was born in Albany, New York, and grew up in a in a very unique. Beautiful little town in New England, Western Mass called Stockbridge, which was where Alice's restaurant was. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And um, it was a slice of New York City, basically. It was like there was like the Boston Symphony Orchestra was three miles from my house in the summer. There was a, a right down the hill from where I grew up was um, a summer stock where I would meet like people like Faye Dunaway and Anne Bancroft and Frank Langella and Richard Dreyfus. All these great actors would come up and do their summer summer acting to get away from New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Sigmund Freud's protege lived there, Eric Erickson. Uh, they had potters. You had uh, painters. I used to go to Norman Rockwell's house. And, and I mean, this whole area, it was only 3,000 people, was an artsy, brainy, uh, liberal, cool place to grow up. I thought that's where the real world was. But what was good about that, oh, yeah, just... Norman Mailer was just down like wow. literally a quarter of a mile from my house. You couldn't see any house because we were in the country. But I go over to Norman Mailer's all the time because he had a 16-year-old little daughter I used to try to hit on. But <laughs> Norman to, used to try to put her on the bar. Yeah, but I, mean. <laughs> I didn't dare do anything too much with her because uh, Norman, he, 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 he wouldn't would think twice. To, he'd kill you. He'd just shoot you. So, what, and, so that was a great place to grow up. And, and, you know. and when did drums enter your life? Well, I mean, the first time, I, I mean, I was a very hyper little kid, so mm. I was drawn to drums. I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, like 72 other million people right. saw, but and I, I just turned around to my mom. I said, you know, uh, I want to be in the Beatles. Call them up. <laughs> and, I, and there's silence. I says, look, I want to I be in a rock band. I want to grow my hair. Call them up. Silence. She was dancing to, you know, what, you know them playing. And finally, yeah. I went, I want to be in the Beatles, man. I got to do something. So... Five months, I started a band. I only could afford a cymbal and a snare drum. There was no models, no people around me that, that I could take lessons from on rock and roll. It was all new. So I started a band. We, we were called the Alley Cats, and of course the theme song was the Alley Cat, and mm-hmm. the pan, guy in the band played piano. And we did Beatles and Beach Boys. And, and, and my book sort of talks about, at, at 11, I saw, you know, I saw the Beatles on TV, saw them do Hard mm-hmm. Day's Night in the movie theaters, you know. And... Um, 50 years later, I was honoring the Beatles here in L.A., which was like a couple of years ago, for that exact TV show, the Ed Sullivan Show, where I'm playing with Ringo and Paul. And that same year, I recorded with Brian Wilson. So I was wow. like... Oh, that's great. Because my first two records were the Beach Boys and the Beatles. And if my memory serves me right, on Halloween at Dodger Stadium... You and the Smashing Pumpkins dressed as the Beatles. Wow, you did your homework. <laughs> well, I was at that show. You guys opened that was for Kiss. My, that was my idea. And nobody got it. I remember we came out. And, you know, with Billy Corgan, I expect mm-hmm. to see Billy Corgan. 45,000 people, Dodgers Juice Stadium. He's got a wig on. I got a wig yeah. on. Uh, the keyboard player, um, uh, Mike Garson, had a wig on as Yoko Ono. So <laughs> we were real ugly. I had a drum head that said The Beatles. Yeah. And they went, ladies and gentlemen, The Beatles. And it was dead silence because <laughs> everybody was thinking it was going to be The Pumpkins. So we did Money. Yeah. And at the end, we took a bow, like a Beatles bow, yep. whipped off our wigs, and then he and then Billy started zero. And then it was like, all right. And then it was full on pumpkins. Awesome. Yeah, Wait, you were at that show? That, was yeah, that the, the Kiss yeah, show? That, yeah, it was Halloween night. Yeah. Oh, awesome. it was, it was, that was my was last gig with them. That was great, man. That was, yeah. 
That was a great show. That was cool. I have a question. Yeah. Um, around the Pink House this time, yeah. um, MTV put up uh, uh, a contest yeah. that oh. you could uh, win yeah. a Pink House yeah. in Indiana. Yeah. And you'd there. have a big party. And I believe the phrase was, you paint the mother pink. Yeah. I sent in postcards to try and win it. <laughs> you did? <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. I didn't win it, but... Uh, I remember, remember being out there. It was hot. You know, we're playing a regular football, getting mm-hmm. drunk. Uh-huh. Was it just a giant party barbecue for the weekend? Yeah, it was just, uh, no, it was one, well, we were there for one day, Mm -hmm. but here's the weird twist on it. (laughs) In the end, that house was on PCB polluted land. They had to sell (laughs) the sucker. Oh, really? In Indiana, Indiana, it's like Flint, Michigan's got their issues with it. Sure. Well, in Indiana, they would, they would, they would, some company there was like burying PCB canisters. Jeez. And then it later found out it was cancer, you know, could create oh cancer. God. So all of a sudden, cancer. So they found out that this house was built on these PCB or something was polluted and it had to sell the house. Oh, God. Kind of an embarrassment. But that is an embarrassment. <laughs> so they what do you expect? They're giving it away on MTV. How much research are they going to do I, on that house, right? No, no. <laughs> so, Kenny, are you, did, you, did you eventually take lessons or are you all self taught? Well, no, I have a huge classical background when I was a junior. I was self-taught. I started, you know, in fourth grade when they asked me, you know, what, well, a big transition was. My, my mom had me in piano, like mm-hmm. a lot of kids have, take piano. And when I saw the Beatles and I decided, you know, when they ask you in grade school, what instrument do you want to play, Ken? I went, drums. You know, of course, <laughs> I didn't know they were going to give me a rubber pad. Right. And, 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 and I wanted to quit piano. So I said, Mom, I'm not playing piano anymore. I took the music and ripped it up and threw it at her. She said, you have to play. I went, no, no, no. Drums, drums, drums. No, no, no. Then I went running around. My brother said, I went running around the room going, drums, drums, drums. No, no, no. Drums, drums, drums. So they let me slide. And... Uh, I, I, at 13, I mean, I was playing it in my first band, 11. I was playing in bars at 13. Wow. We had a barn. And so I would, in my high school years, it was school, uh, sports. I was a three letterman. It was soccer, skiing, and, and lacrosse. And then we'd, I'd come home, do homework, and it was band, rock and roll band practice from 8 o'clock at night till midnight. And mm-hmm. everybody'd come there, drink and smoke pot, and, and we would rock, and we, we rocked. And so. But in my junior year, some kid got better than me. I noticed he was getting better than me. And and, uh, and I said, man, what are you doing? So I'm taking lessons from Arthur Press from the Boston Symphony Orchestra. So I went, oh, whatever. You know, I remember, I'll take lessons, <laughs> sure. The night before, I went down to a two-hour bus ride to, to near Boston. I was hanging out with the jocks and the cheerleaders and drinking vodka. I was so hungover. And the reason why I mention that, I go to this, this is the type of... Well, that was good training, though, to be a rock star, so... I guess so. <laughs> well, I went to his house, and his name's Arthur Press, and he says, looks at me, goes, uh, what have you prepared for me today? After I told him my name, he says, uh-huh. what have you prepared for me? I'm like, Uh-oh. well, yeah, thank you. <laughs> and I'm hung over, and he goes, I, says, I haven't prepared anything. And he looked at me, you didn't prepare a mallet piece? And I went, what's mallets? <laughs> and he just stood there, looked at me, I was getting smaller... He says, well, did you prepare a timpani piece? I said, I don't play timpani. And basically he said, what the fuck do you play, dude? Yeah. I said, drum set. He said, well, okay. Brought me downstairs, put spinning wheels on by blood, sweat, and tears, and in about 30 seconds yanked me off and threw me over to the 
other side of the room where the pad was. The weird thing was, and I call these game-changing moments. Was this I, sounds like the movie Whiplash. <laughs> yeah. I had mo- many teachers like that. And wow. it, was, yeah. it was the wooden piece of wood with the, yeah. with the was, rubber pad well, on and it. And the dot in the middle. So he, I started learning mallets. My dad bought me a secondhand vibes, and I started learning um, you know, mallets and theory mm-hmm. and then timpani. I, I got some timpani, and, and I, when it was time to go to college, it was like I had to pick a major, and in our family, everyone went to college. Mm-hmm. I decided to be a music major, but there was no rock and roll school. There was no mentor. Right. There was no handbook. It was, it was like, I guess I'll go to college, and I went to University of Massachusetts to get a liberal arts education and major in music. But that school was more, you know, education, music ed. Well, I, but in my summer before my uh, freshman year in college, because I was fe- so in so much fear... Uh, that I was going to suck and be way behind because I wasn't in marching band, I wasn't in orchestra, I wasn't in that. Why would I want to be playing with a bunch of squeaky clarinets and and you know, you know, playing that music when I was playing Hendrix? Yeah, mm-hmm. and I was playing James Brown. I was playing the Rolling Stones and playing Led Zeppelin and and you know, drinking beer and getting laid and all the shit. You you know, I mean, you kidding me? So and even sports was more fun than playing in that. <laughs> and I don't put it down because it, it, it crushed me and I eventually ended up at Tanglewood, which is run by the Boston Symphony yeah. Orchestra, the best student orchestra in the country. And I was working with Leonard Bernstein, Aaron Copeland, and got you know, I mean I got my between my senior year in high school and my fifth year of college, I got my ass killed and creamed and beat up and I was practicing Every second, I'm on Fridays and Saturday nights. I was practicing till midnight while everyone's out partying to catch up. And in that freshman year, this was the this summed up Kenny Aronoff, which leads me to why I'm so busy. That one year, I quickly stood realizing I'm not the best here, but this is not the best school. So I tried to get into Eastman, which is the top three in the country. Juilliard, Eastman, Indiana University Mm -hmm. were the top three. Eastman accepted me, but they had no room for me because they only would accept so many students. And yeah. That was a transfer. Some hot cellist was said she was going to Aspen Music Festival. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and that's run by Juilliard. I went, oh, I'm going to audition and go. And so I didn't hear back from them. And so I went, all right, well, I'll go home and I'll study with Arthur Press from the Boston Symphony Orchestra. Had a killer band that was an Almond Brother type band, and I had a, an actual girlfriend. And so I was headed back, and I was leaving school that day. And I went, oh, shit, I forgot my mail. I went back, got accepted to Aspen. Aspen. Two weeks later, I'm at Aspen. Worst percussionist there. I mean, these kids were playing. You were the worst percussionist. I was definitely the worst. There was no question. These kids were playing marimba and timpani when they were eight. And I was rocking. So as far as the classical world, I was not at the level they were following conductors, sight-reading music, the technique on all these percussion instruments. I had humiliating and mortifying Experiences up there where conductors just embarrass, you know, ripped me an asshole yeah. in front of everybody, embarrassing, and and it just wanted to cry. Uh, and while I was there, the teacher that taught there was heavy. This guy was, he was like, like Arthur Press, but he was deeper, and he was he was at another level of of education as not only as a musician but as a wise, worldly man. I went. I'm going where he's going. He taught at Indiana University. Now that's the number one school in the country. Yeah. I demanded an audition. He said, well, nah, come back in the... No. Now. 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 Drums, drums, drums. <laughs> drums, drums. And I didn't... Objectively, I didn't know that this is who I was. I was just doing what was instinctively 
who what I wanted mm-hmm. to do. I demanded audition. I auditioned up there. It's not that easy. You don't just audition for him. You have to have four different department heads. And there was from Indiana teaching there. Flutes, uh, woodwinds, uh, violin, and vo- percussion and vocals. And so I auditioned, got in. That's how I got to Indiana. Four years at IU, at Indiana University, and that's when I graduated. And were you nervous for any of these? Oh, yeah. Yeah, mortified. Entangled. But you wanted it, so. I wanted it. Yeah. And but what entails t- that audition? What is it? Do you, well, you, you play, have to sight read it for a section and then? Yeah, what, what, it, you, there's four different categories. Snare drum, uh, mallets, which would be marimba, timpani, and multiple percussion. You have to prepare a piece. Then they ask you technique on all these different instruments. Like they might go play an F-sharp harmonic minor scale starting with your right hand, two octaves. Three, four, go. Play me arpeggios. Give me an augmented five, flat, you know, 13th arpeggio starting on C major. Two octaves starting with your right hand. Things like that. Timpani, I want to hear pianissimo roll for two beats and then forte for three beats, whatever it was. And I was drilled and I passed. And, uh, you know, um, I went to IU, you know, and, that, and that's why it took four times for me to get into Tangwood because Tangwood, then when I went there, I, I mean, the conductors were Leonard Bernstein. I mean, says mm-hmm. Yozar, I mean, there's a section there, well, it's in the book, but it's like, <laughs> you don't want to fuck up. <laughs> so you fuck, you fuck up once, fine, but then you better get it right after that. Cause, and, and my senior year, okay, remember, I didn't, I didn't even touch him remember until I was in my audition at UMass. And by the way, the way I got in was that guy, he put some music, I was the worst sight reader because I didn't have the experience. I'd play my piece, he'd put some music in front of me, he'd say sight read it, I'd be like, at this tempo. I was, Forget the tempo, I couldn't even hit the notes. And he says, okay, I says, no, 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 I'm gonna try it again. And I try, he says, no, that's all right, no, 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 I'm gonna try it again. That's why he accepted me. Oh, really? Yeah, it's just, I'm going to love teaching this guy. This guy's a fighter. He's going to get improved. You were a hyper kid. Totally. In six weeks, he had me at UMass, the first college. He he said, I want you to perform a marimba piece in front of the whole music school on a Wednesday morning, whatever. Walk out there. This was a critical lesson in life. Walk out there. I've got the piece memorized. I walk up. I take a bow, and I'm scared shitless. Now, I'm not behind a drum set in my barn playing rock and roll. This is exact notes, precision, the dynamics, everything. In an instrument I'm not comfortable with. Piano player starts playing, and I look down, and I go, holy fuck, it never even occurred to me to say, your first note of this piece is F major in the first octave. You just go in your practice room, you throw your book bag down, you start hitting the notes. But when you're nervous... And you're looking at an audience, and you're looking at a piano player. Suddenly, I had never exercised that thought process of when you get nervous, you better cross your T's and dot your I's. And I never thought, what is the first note? And I was paralyzed. And the, the piano player looks at me and goes, like, any time, Kenny. And he's playing this intro, and he keeps repeating it. Finally, I came in. And once I came in, I had it memorized. I was fine. That taught me, dude. When you, you know, now I have to realize you're going to be nervous sometimes. So you better be prepared for all that stuff. Like, you know, it's like when I do like the Kennedy Center Honors mm-hmm. or I do a heavy show that's being filmed. There's 14, you have 14 cameras and it's live and they're recording it. There was no room for fuck ups. Wow. And I have to count off everything. I have the tempos. I know who to count off, 
what the count off is. So when that music comes out, there might be 26 pe- songs we're doing. We've never run it in sequence. I look at a piece of music, I go, all right, count off to Bill and John, and the count off is one, two, one, two, ga, 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 ga. I wrote that all out. I don't know how that song goes, but I know what to do. Mm-hmm. I also know when to, when to count them off. He's going to read the teleprompter when they say, and the, or you're going to get the cue from the stage manager. I have it all mapped out. It's just out. in your wow. DNA. Well, it's, yeah, it's in my <laughs> DNA, but from mistakes I learned, I went, mm-hmm. holy shit, I don't want that to happen again. <laughs> so I've risen to a place where when you do shows like that, I'm not just a drummer anymore. I'm like I'm I'm like that the MD's mm-hmm. favorite guy or the t- stage manager because they know if something goes wrong if an artist fucks up or something I got their back. You think at the Grammys, those guys they see me. Oh God, thank God Kenny's here because they know if like some, an artist messes up, I will jump in and do something to to say no. This is where we're at, everybody. I'll do something mm-hmm. so it won't be a complete disaster. <laughs> Let's play. Uh, I want to play a little bit more music, Kenny, because. Uh, for for me, the best uh, the best musicians, guitar or drums or whatever, are the ones that as soon as you hear them, you're like, I think that's Kenny Aronoff. Oh wow, I that's think cool, that's yeah. or I yeah. think that you know I think that's Brian May from Queen. I mean, you just know because they have this sound, and I totally think you know have that sound because there's been many albums I would buy and I would start listening to it. You know, Mary Chapin Carpenter or whatever, oh, wow. and I would be like, Shut up and kiss me. Yeah, and I'd pull out the uh, pull out the liner notes and uh, check it out, and sure enough, I would be right. So. Uh, since uh, since Kenny just said that one, let's hear a little bit of "Shut Up and Kiss Me." Oh, this shut up. Yeah, we have it. I got it here. <laughs> got stuff. We got stuff. That's my snare sound. Such a cool line. You uh, you've worked with a lot of uh, a lot of ladies. Yeah, uh, ladies love cool Kenny. Is what I'm going <laughs> to Yeah. Hello. What's Not, your favorite lady I've worked with? Well, for me, it's Melissa. Oh Because yeah. I just think she's 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 the real deal. She's like the oh female Springsteen to me. You I know, mean, Mike's first experience with her was well. First of all, I always went, "Who's that chick on MTV yeah. that's like listen to the you know she's." doing all those hits and she had so much energy and power and I truly believe you gotta match your singer with your drummer you know you got it's like she's the car you gotta better put the right engine to go with that chick right and so I went into the studio well the the, the whole thing was funny the first time I I was flown from Indiana to LA to do a a Tom Petty song called of please uh, leave Virginia alone leave leave Virginia alone for Rod Stewart to sing for a movie. Mm-hmm. I am flew in, got my rental car, showing up, I'm a little late, I'm walking in, as soon as I walked into, it was A&M that, back then, uh, Hugh Padgham, a producer, you know. Uh, yeah, the police, and, Genesis. Yeah. And John Shanks, who played with Melissa, started laughing at me. I'm like, nice. What the fuck are you <laughs> laughing at? My fucking nose, what? You know? 
they were laughing because they had just walked out of the room and went, we, we need a drummer. This record rocks too much. We need a drummer who can kick ass. And Hugh said, who should we get? And John said, Kenny Aronoff. And that's when I walked in. Boom, you walked in. And, and they just <laughs> went, oh, my God. It was like, and it was hilarious. And Hugh said, hey, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Hey, listen, I'm working on a record. And um, it's, I said, oh, cool, man. I'd love to work with you. He says, when would we do it? He says, well, let me call you in a couple of days. <laughs> it was for that record. And the Melissa was in that room, and the band was in there, and they hadn't discussed it with her. Sure enough, that's it. First record, first song I did was I Want to Come Over. Yeah. I walk in there, and I, I said I wanted to get real close. At this point, I was becoming, I really knew how to record records. Mm -hmm. And I said, can I, will you play the song for me, just me and you alone? I want to hear because I know she was a powerful singer. Yeah, but amazing her guitar voice. playing is sick. One of the most perfectly in time groove rhythm guitarists I've ever played with. Really? Yes. Like I put her up there with the best. And so she started singing this thing, and I went, "Oh my god, holy <laughs> shit!" Up close, this is like ridiculous. Yeah. I was like just so pumped. I said, "We got to record this now." And I knew exactly what I was going to do to it. And the thing is, she sings like that while we're recording. I mean, full, full out. Just belting, I want to come over. And I'm like, I remember I was thinking, thank God we have a click track because I, I wanted to just bust out of my skin. I was playing like stadium type of excitement volume with her she motivated me and then she interviewed in my book saying i was motivating her wow. and that's what we did we just pushed each other and and just she just look at me and say give me something right on stage like give me something wacky i have it queued up so let's hear a little bit of i want to come over let me in That's chills. You told me you me. That, what? that snare, man. I saw uh, I saw you uh, with Melissa at the Santa Monica Civic Center on the maybe, oh yes maybe the breakdown tour that was cr a and, crazy uh, story there and Spielberg and Tom Hanks yeah were there. no kidding yeah. <laughs> Tom Hanks was in full on castaway mode yeah. he had a big long beard so and know, long hair well check this out I mean I, someone knocks on my door I'm taking a shower and I'm like come on in I thought it was my tech <laughs> and I go. <laughs> I find John, Jesus, I jump out of the shower, I look <laughs> over there, and one of our girls walks by and says, was somebody looking where Yeah, it was Spielberg and Hanks. I went, what? <laughs> so I get dressed, and I'm wiping down, they came back. I looked at Tom, and went, uh-oh, he's gone off the deep end. <laughs> so he doesn't look so good. He looks really like he's been smoking joints for a month. He looks like shit. Yeah. Of course, he didn't, didn't say anything about it, but he was doing castaways <laughs> and he doesn't say anything like how do you not comment on that it's like he must have seen my face freak out yeah he, they're, they're funny they, he's how do let me here's a question i have for you like you you 
you're touring with Melissa for a while, but then, then what happens to when you're not touring with someone? What happens? Well, when I went, when I when I left Mellencamp, um, what year was that? '96. Mm-hmm. I was on a Bob Seger tour, and I struck my deal with Seger. Um, you know, I was getting paid great money. You know, huge. i in one show. I was making more than most people make, and the biggest for Mellencamp or for for Seger with, or for with Seger and Melissa, I was mm-hmm. making. Uh, so, so as much money in one day mm-hmm. is a pretty good salary for somebody on a, you know, on a on a, on a tour of these yeah. new artists that are doing well. I'm not saying like Sting or something because those guys pay really good. But yeah. a new artist, let's say Lady Gaga, in one mm-hmm. day I could make more than what they'd make in a week. Wow! You know, in one show, I decided not to charge. I just charge per show, and on my days off, they were mine. Okay. And every day I had off that I could get a book a session, I booked it. Because there was money back then, so people would fly me in for one day. I think on a Travis Tritt record. I and then fl- you'd go rejoin the tour. Yeah. Okay. So risky. Yeah, but I was going to say, were you, were, were you be some, afraid that you're not going to make a show? Is a plane or? Some close calls. It wasn't as bad back then as it is now. You know, it's, but any, So I, I did 11 months of touring that year. I was on with Seeger. Now, when, when I left John... The Seeger tour ended in June, I think it was June or July, and John and I left John on the phone. I remember it was, a, you know, uh, I was on tour with Seeger, and I left the John Mellencamp band. We decided it was time, you know, just to part ways, you know. And but when that was the first time, I was like not in a band, and I had turned down tours being in John, like Elton John. I turned on Elton John tour and other tours to stay in the Mellencamp band, but finally it was I was on my own. I remember there was one month. That it was like August that I was like I was doing sessions, but I didn't belong to a band anymore. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, Bill Leopold he told me today, I thought he was calling from the L.A. office. He called me up and went, oh, and let me back up when we were doing the Melissa record on the Steps of Henson. He said, I said, I got a I got a tour with this chick. I got a tour. <laughs> he says, be careful what you wish for. I went, yeah, 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 whatever. Calls me up, and he calls me up and says, Kenny, Bill. He told me today, today, he said, do you remember when I called you up from England? I said, no. So I called you up from England. We were at Wembley, uh, opening up for Brian Adams uh, to ask you to be in the band. I went, that's where you were? I thought you were now. He says, yeah. So I went in the dressing room and I said, Melissa, let me tell you something. Your show sucks. You got, you got, you got, you need to get a kick-ass, you need to get Aronoff out here now. You need Aronoff in this band. You need, you need him. This is not happening. You're embarrassing. That's what he said. Wow. So, so they called me up and he says, Kenny, Bill, what are you so doing? So that was a good day for you and a bad day for some other drummer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, know, I, felt, I felt bad. And, and here's that drummer now. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, I, I think in the end he was all right. Yeah. I think it was, t- it was like, he, 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 in other words, it was, it was, nobody wants to be fired, but it was, he was ready to stay home, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something like that. So Do you think he felt he it? He calls up and he says, um, what are you doing between September 15th and uh, <laughs> December 20-something? Damn, that sounds like a tour. He says, what's going on? He says, oh, well, um, I'll have Melissa explain. Sure enough, two hours later, uh, Kenny, this is Melissa. All right. She says, I I would love to play more drums with you. And I went, holy shit. He says, are you talking about touring with you? She says, yes. And I went, awesome. <laughs> he says, when? September, those dates. I went, oh, my God. She says, can you do it? I says, I am free, 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 free. 
to play drums, 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 drums. drums. I says, let's go. I says, but I'm booked solid until then. I just, I don't care. Well, let's work it out. So I wrote, and I'm a very, I'm known for writing very anal detailed charts. People make fun of me. I don't give a shit. I can write everything out, and this is an example. I wrote everything out that, that drum was doing for a three-hour show. I only had time to rehearse for nine hours. There's no way I could memorize that much material. And my thing is, like when I went out with Sticks and Goo Goo Dolls recently, because their drummers couldn't do it, they said, well, they said, how much are you going to charge them? Well, this is what I charge. says, that, well, that's expensive. You don't understand. One rehearsal. You don't have to lock up in a week for a wee. One rehearsal. Sticks, it was sound check. Have everything written out. I go really? over everything. I have to go over cues that massive cues. I'm not saying it's 100 percent per- perfect, but bottom line is I keep the band. The band stays in business. They don't have to cancel. I know all the cues. I have all the tempos. If it's if it's sequences and clicks, I write it down. I'm used to that kind of pressure. I it was sticks. It was like at the end of a song, uh, look at uh, JY here for two notes. Then he then look at Lance real quick. He's gonna direct you the next chord. Then look over at Tommy Shaw. He ends the song and then you gotta start the next. I mean, I have it all written out. It's it's nerve wracking. It's not easy. And uh, but the point is, I can get the job done so they yeah. can stay in business. And I charge for, I mean, that's a lot of time, 34 hours of writing out charts and then practicing. So with Melissa, <laughs> I went out and there was, you know, and, and oh, it was one of the greatest things. <laughs> so then I was in her, I was her drummer then. Yeah. Well, that's was, what I'm putting. Then, then how, I stay. And then how I, are you not her drummer then? Well, what happened was, and then one time she took off a long time and I had been making Michelle Branch records mm-hmm. and John Shanks. Was this is one example of Michelle Branch record, and they asked me if I wanted to go on tour, and I thought this would be great. I made her record, but to go on tour and then make her video, I think that looks. If I was a manager of Michelle Branch, I'd say that's really good because even though she's a solo artist, they're presenting her as if she's got a band. Yeah. Because the guy that made the record is in the video, is on tour with her, and And you're, and you're recognizable. Yeah, I mean, you have a you have right. a distinct look. At this point, it's it's good for everybody, and I I loved being part of something that was relevant and new, and uh, and uh, and man, I have to say, man, I mean, I, I was watching her video just last night because uh, I because I want to make clarify a year in my book, and I'm telling you, man, there's a lot of chicks out there, but she had a look that was amazing. Yeah, beautiful, sexy, beautiful, but not nasty sexy. Yeah, she was. Like kind of real, wholesome a little bit. What? She was kind of wholesome. Wholesome, but real beauty. And you didn't have to be trashy. She still was desirable and sexy. And those songs were great. You know, John Shanks is my buddy, one of the greatest producers. I mean, I was right next to him when he won Producer of the Year. And, I mean, he deserves it. Yeah, he's, he's like he's like with amazing. the Bon Jovi guys. And he produces their last yep. couple records. Mm-hmm. And, oh, he's done everybody. I mean, yeah. just... Well, so yeah, anyway, he's in everyone. So, and they wrote some great songs, and I won't get into details, but I just basically that was a huge turning point in the way drums were recorded. Most of the time, you want to get the drum tracks first because it has the sounds, the feel, and you and you and people weren't putting stuff on the grid back then. Yeah, and it, you 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 had to deal with perfect tracks. Maybe you would cut a piece of tape out of take three and put it into tape one, but basically. You know, you, you there was no pro tools to, to grid stuff. So and they and and 
you know, really, you want that organic thing. That's what makes every drummer sound different. Every guitar player sound different is that they have a feel, a special feel. So in this record was the beginning of me overdubbing to completely finished tracks. Because that's what I always ask when I'm overdubbing. Are you keeping everything here? Or what are you not keeping? Because yeah. if something's out of time and you're not keeping it, get it out of my headphones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See what I'm saying? So... <clears throat> I had to come up with, a, I mean, we, I remember taking, spending way more time on getting drum sounds. The bass drum I usually used didn't work, had to go to something different, and you're on, working like fast on the fly. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing about a session player, or anything I do really, is, is I have to be a problem solver. It's not just play the drums, it's not play the drums, solve the problem. I don't care what the problem is, solve it. If you figure it out. And that's a lot of pressure. So, for example, I'm doing these tracks. I know when I've got to take. I look up. I'm like, got it. I look in. There's no excitement. That's wrong. That was a good take. And I go into the control room going, something's wrong, something's wrong. Get ready, get ready, get ready. I walk into John. What's wrong? He says, I don't know. You tell me. I'm like, oh, that's the one thing you never (laughs) want to ever hear. I'm like, something's got to be really wrong because I know I killed it. I say, let me hear it. And I went, oh, wow. I sound way laid back. I went, all right, give me just a click and the drums. Okay, I'm right with the click. Makes me look good, boys. I'm with the click, right? (laughs) Give me the loops, click and the drums. Right on. I says, it's not me. And then I said, give me the rhythm guitars. Oh, wow, they're way on top of the beat. And John says, who played those guitars, um, this is John Shanks. Yeah, he says, uh, "Is is it is it? It's me, right?" He says, "No problem, dude. Sounds great." <laughs> He's the producer. I went, "No problem." I says, "You're keeping those tracks, right? You're keeping those parts." He says, "Yeah." I says, "No problem." This is what I did. I knew what I was going to do. Walked out there, turned the click way down, dump the loops. I'm not going to be up in the mix anyway. Not at, not when I come in yeah, or not. Mm-hmm. Put the acoustic guitars, rhythm guitars, way up, and I played to them. Touchdown! Oh, nice. Wow. Sound like a band now. <laughs> some, uh, just because we're talking about you know Michelle Branch and Melissa, and we we played some uh, Mary Chapin Carpenter. You've also played with uh, Alanis Morissette and yeah. Avril Lavigne and uh, Belinda Carlisle. Yeah, the and, big hits with both. Uh, Belinda went yeah, to number one. It was the first number one single, Heaven on Earth, that yeah. I played on outside of Mellencamp. And that, yeah. And, that was the and first you played outside of Mellencamp? First uh, song that went to number oh, one. Wow. I played on a Brian Setzer record. And, um, yeah. Oh, wow. Life Feels Like Justice. Yeah, and yep. it was his that's first a good album. Yeah. Yeah, I have Radiation, Radiation Ranch in oh, here. Oh, you but do? Let's, but let's hear, uh, let's hear Heaven is a Place on Earth. And then, Mary, I'll let you play some of your songs, okay. too. We just want to hear the drums. Yeah. For sure. And then one more car I want you to play is I want you to jump down to this uh, Alanis Morissette song. Oh, yeah, that's bad. I never met her. Uh, I was. I did. That was a day I did 13 tracks in one day. I so was you, like, but you geez. never met Alanis? No. What happened was this is when the budgets were changing. I saw the budgets were changing. And this they, is 2004, yeah. yeah. It was starting yeah. to change. John flew me in, and this is why. If I was on tour with Michelle Branch. I flew from Philadelphia all the 
to LA. Landed at 10.30, went to the studio, did 13 tracks for five different artists, got back on the plane and flew to New York through the night to do uh, one of the morning shows with uh, uh, Michelle. I did eight uh, Lance Moore sets. Of course, I got all the songs ahead of time. I had charts all written out. One for Melissa Etheridge, one for Gwen Stefani, two for Anastasia, and one for uh, Johnny Resnick, you know, uh, for the Goo Goo Dolls. And... We, we had to literally realize we have 13 songs, we only have this much time, and I was plowing through it fast, fast, furious, and Lance was never there. Um, the, but think about it. If you can get a guy to do 13 songs in one day, have feel, play in time, play the right parts, be creative in the right places, uh, make each track sound special and unique, you know... Um, and you do it in one day, you just, at a studio rate of $2,500 a day for the room, plus the assist and everything, you're saving a lot of money. Yes. Because, <laughs> you know, that could take three days for yeah. some people. And you did it in one. Yeah, did it in one, save money. So, Eight Easy Steps, Kyle, started at the beginning and then jumped to one minute and 19 seconds. This is Alanis Morissette. Well, this is killer. How to stay paralyzed by fear of abandonment. How to defer to men solve I'm so mellow when I come in. I know. How to control someone to be Get ready, fuckers. <laughs> I'm at the chorus. We'll jump to that in a second. Just warming up. Jump to one minute and 19 seconds. Maybe it's the same thing, but I thought it was something different. It's the bridge. Coming up. It's a bridge. Yeah. yeah. Let's jump to one more. Let's jump to Avril Lavigne's My Happy Ending. Oh, this is Oh, great. I almost brought that. You did? Yeah, this is... No, I recorded this by myself, by the way. Just no one else in the room? Nobody in the oh, room. Oh, really? No, she wasn't there. Nobody was there. All I had heard, heard was acoustic guitar. Butch uh, Walker, the, the, the producer, sang it into a little inbox. Oh, I didn't and, I played that. <laughs> and I said to Butch, okay, dude... What movie are we in? I always think of myself as an actor in a movie, and I just want to know what the movie I'm in. Am I, you know, uh, De Niro in Godfather, or am I De Niro in Meet the Falkers? Mm -hmm. It's always De Niro, though. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just went like, dude, so what? He said, rock this harder than she's ever done. I went, okay. So I just envisioned myself, like an actor, playing in a stadium. And for this song to be so successful, coming from a drum track... Mm -hmm. And she wasn't there. It'd be like go, trying to shoot a deer in the dark, dark with a bow and arrow with your eyes blindfolded. Because she could have come in with wrong tempo, wrong mm-hmm. feel, wrong snare drum, wrong everything. She could have gone like, you know, I'm not in a good mood, but I'm going to blame yeah. it on Kenny. Mm-hmm. She could have been and, pissy because she was a kid. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. But she then, that was the record was done, mm-hmm. mixed. And so every record after that, for two records, she'd call me up after the record was done and mixed. And I'd come in and record three 
or four that's songs. Cool. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Let's hear. This uh, is cool. My man. happy ending. This is great. It's not like we're dead. That's where I sound the best. Was it something I did? Nothing. <laughs> Was it something you said? <laughs> it's me singing. Don't leave me hanging. I'd love to hear Butch City Walker sing this so now. Dead. He's saying great, but it was Held a guy. Yeah. So high on such a Nobody knows it. I'm Avril Lavigne. You were <laughs> all the things I thought I knew. And I thought Okay, hang on again. I'm excited coming out of here. You work with all these ladies, and then you work with Alice Cooper, and you work with Tony Iommi and Glenn Hughes. Do you have, and a, you have a track from that? Which one, the Alice or uh, or uh, Glenn Iommi? Glenn Hughes, Hughes and uh, with yeah, Hughes. I have I have dopamine. Yeah, let's see. Okay, do you have a, do you have a? Oh, I don't even know if this one made it. Uh, say, uh, do you have what songs do you have? There? Do you have wasted or I only have dopamine okay, from the Fused one. album. Yeah, okay, play that, and then we'll let Murray give Teddy some guitar- love. Oh, he's got it. That was so supposed good. to be a band. It was going to be, we, oh, we, we shacked up band. in Wales at a studio where Sabbath would rehearse and record sometimes. I had Geezer Butler's room, and we lived in this farmhouse, and it was cool. It was a band, man. It was great, and we were going to be a band. And then, Just the three of you. Yeah. And then uh, Sharon Osbourne decided to put another band back together. <laughs> Sabbath. <laughs> and like, oh, you do the equation. You know? <laughs> Sabbath or this new little club band. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I, I, I emailed Tony great. just recently and said, dude, got to do another record. He's, He's the coolest man. He's feeling well. He's sweet. He's doing well. Yeah, he said. Yeah, you know. Yep. He has to just keep doing those treatments, but he's he's great spirits and you know, cool. Yeah, that's the thing. You've played with so many, you know, off your list, and then you've played with a ton of my favorites like Paul Westerberg and Iggy Pop and Lyle Lovett, Willie Nelson, George Jones, and um, one of we were actually talking about a song before uh, uh, we recorded, which is off Michael Penn's uh, album, March. And you got to bear with me, my <clears throat> computer crashed. I don't have my notes in front of me, but I think it was like 89, 88, 89 when March came out. Yeah, and, something uh, there. This The credits are on this song is Kenny Aronoff, Drums, Left. Right. And was it John Freeze? No, uh, it was Jim Keltner. Jim Keltner, Drums, Right. What happens? I walked in the studio and I and this happened twice to me with Jim Keltner. I walk in, there's two drum sets. I'm like, and Tony's laughing his ass off. Tony Berg, the producer, mm-hmm. he did it on purpose. He didn't tell me. Jim was gonna say, "Well, we've been recording with Jim, and I just thought, you know, 
leave Jim's drums up. Or maybe Jim was going to come back in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And they just wanted me on a couple of tracks. Just, I, I want both of you guys to play together. You have to understand, I mean, I was pissing vinegar back then, man. I was a <laughs> fucking beast. Everything was full on. When I did the Iggy Pop record, 89, mm-hmm. I had no shirt. I duct taped the headphones to my head because they were flying off. Right, wow. And I remember Wadi Wattel, this heavy rock Marshall Stack guitar player, turned around and went, do you have to fucking play so loud? And I'm like... You're saying that? <laughs> That's a compliment. And you know, and so you know, Jim is more uh, lighter touch. Mm-hmm. And man, I was slamming, and we both, we were listening to each other. And and I said, "How are you going to mix this?" Because you know, snare drums and kick drums flim flamming all over the place. And Tony says, "You watch." And he, <laughs> so let's hear it. He turned it to left and right. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's it. And it's going back and forth. Or is one it? guy's in one speaker, one's uh-huh. in the other. Let's hear. It. Turn up a little bit. Are you guys beating off each other? While oh, yeah. You're I'm watching him. Watching him. And watching him. And I tried not to do fills when he do, but he's so respectful. We did a Joe Cocker record called Organic, and uh, that got even heavier. He'd play like snare drum and toms. I'd play hi-hat and, and bass drum. Wow. Like we completely... What it does is it makes you play simpler mm-hmm. and makes you listen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, yeah... And, yeah, he's the one that brought me in on the Charlie Watts record because he was because after that later on you know we on Bridges of Babylon I came by there remember I told you it was '96 yeah I came by there and uh, before I was recording with the Stones uh, uh, Jim said to uh, Charlie hey you should um, oh you should he, Charlie was doing a solo record in the back room he says we should have Kenny play he plays some weirdly cool percussion and so he knew I could play with him and and. Listen, and so, mm-hmm. the, yeah, Jim and I played together on that uh, oh, record, great. and then eventually I, I was on the Stones, you know. As a, <laughs> as, awesome. a, as a music fan, is it hard to walk into these rooms sometimes and keep your, like, you've got to be excited. You Back know, then you, it you was You meet Rod Stewart and the Rolling Stones oh, yeah. and all these people. Yep. Back then it was really, I was a fan. I was devastated. I was blown away. <laughs> I was like, I, 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 mean, I can't believe it. I'm, like, playing with the fucking Stones. <laughs> and and, and I, when I played the Bob Dylan session... Uh, the first day, it was like, Jadon was had me play on all four sessions, drums on all four, and every day it was a different group of people. It was spread out over like four months. First day, it's Stevie Ray Vaughan, Jimmy Vaughan, uh, um, David Lindley, Don was. But anyway, Bob came in and tapped me on the shoulder. He was two hours late. I turned around, I was like, whoa, shit. <laughs> right there, he shakes my hand. The only thing he ever said to me the whole session, hey, Kenny, Bob, Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah, it's really. Yeah, we know. know who you are. Yeah. Now you mentioned Don was. Uh, I, I kind of noticed this when you you have like the Kennedy Center Honors or the Grammy or some sort of live television show. You have there's two musical directors they tend to go to, and that's uh, uh, Paul Schaefer, mm-hmm. who was always with Anton Fig, obviously. Yeah. But when Don was, is it seems to be he's your guy? Are you Don yeah. was his guy for those live events? A lot of, yeah. I mean he 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 will use me, and I. I been lately, I've missed a few. I'm missing this Chris Christopherson one because yeah. I was going out with Joan Jett. 
All right, yeah, yeah. And I had to bail. And Don gets it, but now the the Joan Jett things have. I tried to get it back, but he said, "Well, we already told the drum, the other drummer." But oh uh, yeah, he uses me. We got I think a Glenn Fry thing coming up. We got a PBS Grammy thing coming up real soon. I'll be doing here in town. It'll, uh, they haven't told me the artist, but it could be people who I guess won Grammys. Wow, oh, cool, you know? that's great. And if I do the Glenn Fry thing, I hope I do that. That's Don called me and says, "Hey, how would you like to do Glenn?" F- Glenn Fry, I went fuck yeah, we, and we did something with Glenn Fry once. He had me do "You're a Part of Me" or something that was on the Thelma Louise record. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, those things are great. Yeah, Don, Don yeah, Don will hire me, and and we did a Willie Nelson thing, and mm-hmm. done. Well, you and Don are you and Don are Wazer friends, real good friends. Because one night I was yeah. at the, I saw a show at the Pantages, and when I left the Pantages, I walked by some restaurant that was right next door, and you guys were like right in the yeah. window having dinner. Yeah, I just had dinner at his house. Three weeks ago, you yeah. know, so it was the old gang too. And we used to, used to work at Oceanway. I mean, mean Ed Cherney, the engineer, uh, all kind. Yeah. Oceanway by Sunset Gower. Is that Oce- right? Oceanway. The studio was over on Gower. Yeah, yeah. That's, I met Don yeah. was there one night. Uh, yeah, that's where he. We camped out there. And we just record after record after record after record. Wow. After record. <laughs> what do you got? You got another song for us? Martin? Yeah. Well, let's. I'm. I'm I, there's so much just listening I to you. I mean, you know, saw just, you saw I had Blaze of Glory there. Yeah, you want to hear? That's my favorite uh, Bon Jovi song. Uh, let's go ahead and do Blaze of Glory then. I knew this was going to be big when I was yeah. playing it. American Idol, Randy Jackson's playing bass. Oh, yeah? Oh, that's right. Randy Jackson on bass, yeah. Such a great test. My favorite Bunch Jovi song. If I can jump in and play something off the same record, let's hear a little of Never Say Die. Because this is some slamming drums on this. We too. became real good friends on the uh, on this record. Yeah, forever. You know, ninety one, two. My yeah, notes are my notes are down. I can tell you right now. Okay. Let me check, take a look at that. Uh, 90, 90. 1990. This is never say die. Off Young Guns too. kick ass out there i want to ask what okay I, go ahead i want to i have a question uh is the on these sessions is this where you met Aldo nova and is yeah. that how you got on the blood yeah. on the bricks album yeah 
that Blood on the Bricks that's album. That's great. That's killer record. Fucking love that I record. Know. It's funny though. You open it up and it's uh, and the and the. <laughs> You're not in the band photo. It's all these long-haired, yeah. young dudes, and it's. Uh, but I have to play a couple of. It's an Aldo Nova. I'm not familiar this with one? the album. I apologize. It's Aldo Nova. It's from 1991. There, it's Blood it's, on the Bricks. Is there a song called Blood on the Bricks? Right. Yeah, that's. I, the, I played so hard back then. This is crazy. I, I had to change the snare drum head three times per song. Oh wow! This you are slamming. This, this I was hitting so hard. I was going slamming on this album, and they wanted a certain pitch. As soon as the pitch went. I think someone went into the store and got like 25 snare heads. Half a third of the way, new head. Third of the way, a new head. Let's hear, uh, let's hear Blood on the Bricks and see what Kenny's talking about. Kenny Aronoff tab at Guitar Center. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Jump right into bright lights. You can keep the volume up. Yeah, volume up. This is great. I've never heard this. Oh, this is, this is great. I love it. Right into Touch of Madness, and then we'll, st- we'll move on. She's so tough, but she knows that I'm a rebel too. No Romeo and Juliet. Got anything on me and you, cause the love that's true. Gotta wear so proud, like a new tattoo. We'll set the night on fire. I tell people about this album all the it's time, really, and no one, no one. I know. I, I, that sounded great. So amazing. These songs are like on a loop in my uh, in my iPod that I wear on the treadmill. Because <laughs> I, I haven't heard it since sure. I recorded. I mean, the, the, there's so much good stuff there. That's awesome. So what else you got for us, Mark? Well, all right. Okay. So I know I wanted to. We have such a little time, and I want to talk about so much. But let's just go. Uh, I just want to play this song. We we'll talk about a kick-ass uh, cover. It's a, a, an Australian artist named Jimmy Barnes. Oh yeah, what a great <sighs> singer! Holy shit! Yeah. Cold chisel. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And he did a duets with uh, in like 2004. And this is uh, "Piece of My Heart" with Jimmy Barnes and Tina Hodad. I think her name is. I don't remember. She wasn't there. I don't think. <laughs> but turn it up. Is this a Joplin song? Yeah. Oh, good. He had recorded this earlier in like the 80s. Oh, look at that drums. Didn't I make you feel 
there's a lot of head bobbing and air drumming and air guitar and going on in this recording session right now. <laughs> Yeah, he never really cracked over here, Jimmy Barnes, but yeah. uh, huge in no, Australia. Chill, yeah. yeah, it's so great. I did a record with him, Don Gaiman, producing a while ago. Mm -hmm. for, yeah, I, I got to play that. One of the top ten uh, Grammy Award, Grammys performances was with Melissa Etheridge with Josh Stone doing this. Just walked out of cancer treatment. She did. You remember seeing that? Yeah, yeah. 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 That was heavy. I, I talked about that in the book. That was heavy. Oh, she literally. Man. You guys looked alike then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she looked bald and beautiful. Pat, are you uh, as Sound far like as Christy? Oh, Pat. <laughs> are you uh, are you Fogarty's guy right now? Like, do you clear the decks when John Fogarty calls well, you? I try to. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm his dad. I'm his guy. Mm -hmm. He, um, you know, there's conflicts every. Like, for example, I was on Chicken Foot tour. Yeah. And they suddenly had to do because American Chad Idol. Smith had a conflict. Yeah. <laughs> so I was doing Ch Chicken Foot. For anybody who doesn't know Chicken Foot, it was Sammy Hagar and Joe Satriani and, and Michael and, Anthony and Michael Anthony from Van Halen. Sammy Hagar was just on the show with Pat not yeah. too long ago. Who was Sammy, Sammy Hagar? Did, he was here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we we uh, I recorded in in front of a live audience up in San Francisco. Oh, he's he great. So nice. So nice. Really good. Yeah. Good, good vibe. Yeah. Well, so they they call him. So you gotta you gotta come home. Uh, we're playing on American Idol. I said I can't. I'm in the middle of a tour. We'll get a sub. And and Julie Fogarty, he's really smart. She says, "Well, shows the Chili Peppers were off that night." <laughs> and I'm like, dude, but no, we've, it's like this is show. We've worked. It's jamming. It's all worked out. I can't do it, you know. And so I didn't. So who who filled in for you? They Don't just you used the guy on the show. But okay. you know, the, and I could tell that that John wished that I was there because John is extremely particular. Oh, let me put it this way: Blue Moon Swamp, five years. Mm -hmm. He spent five years making. Yeah, yeah. I was the thirtieth drummer. Oh my and god! He, he said to me. You're the drummer I've been looking for my whole life. And, he, and from that point on, he wanted me to play with him. And I, when I went off with the Smash Pumpkins a couple of years later, uh, he was bummed because he was going on tour, but it wasn't, it wasn't decided. Yeah. They weren't sure if they were. So I went with the Pumpkins. Cause I, and I, I explained to him, I, I, was, I had tried to, when, when there was some problems and they needed a drummer two years prior, mm -hmm. I had sent them a 40-page fax of my resume <laughs> they, yeah, to the pumpkins, yeah. Saying uh, uh, I'd like to audition or can I, I'd like to play. Two years later, they reached back to me, the manager, and said, uh, "We'd like you to audition with Billy for the uh, Pumpkins tour." And I said, oh, "Are you kidding me?" Uh, yeah. He says, "But if you win the audition, you have to take it." I went, well, "How can I take it without discussing money and where's, <laughs> yeah, the, right. where's the tour going right. and how long is it?" And <laughs> I, I don't know anything. Of course, I'll take it if it's right. He says. Okay, well, all right. So, yeah, when I auditioned, I auditioned for 35 minutes, and next, I figured I didn't have the gig, and it was at 1 in the morning in New York. And I was in the airport. I got a call the next day. Says, You're in the pumpkin tour. You're on the Adore tour. I, could, wow. I was, loved it. And you have to. Yeah. Now, here's the money. $5 that, a day. <laughs> that actually shocks me that, uh, that you still have to audition. That's funny. That's in the book. But... Um, well, in that particular Not case... Not that anyone's above it, they but, don't you, usually, but they you don't, are... You're, you're, yeah. You're turning the air off. Billy wanted to do it. You know, a lot of times you have to understand. Mm -hmm. Just like with Chicken Foot, Sammy wanted to talk to me. It was, they, it's not just how good you play. Yeah. 
people who because you're traveling too, so they want to make sure you're a night twenty easy to get along with twenty three twenty two point five hours a day. Yeah. You're not on you're stage. Not on stage. <laughs> so Sam even says, "Man, I just want to make sure that you know, you know." He says, "Chad's a funny guy. He's a fun guy to be around. I want to make sure it's still fun." I said, "Look, Sam, he." So he hits hard, I hit hard. He plays funky, I play funky. He's a little wilder than me, but I'm bald and beautiful, so kind of <laughs> balanced out. I said, why don't I come up there and uh, we, we'll hang out, you know, and just have fun and then play some music, and if it's cool, then let's do it. Nice. I said, I'm going to bring some stuff to the table that is, is all Kenny that mm-hmm. nobody else has, you know, because we're all different. Yeah. And Sammy, Sammy's right, man. He says he wants to get along yeah. with people. He toured with Van Halen, brother, so he wants to make sure he doesn't have that kind of an experience again. Yeah. Are you going to play any Chicken Foot? Uh, he, he's not, to my, he's not I on didn't the record, studio album. You just went live? I just did uh, live and, yeah, and the, yeah did okay. live. Who are, who are some, some live recordings of us, but. Yeah. Oh, okay. Who are some of your contemporaries that you love? Like, for example, I love Eric Singer from Kiss. I think oh, he's yeah. a phenomenal drummer. Yes. You guys both played with yeah. Alice. So, I, like, uh, uh, I like Dave Grohl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dave Grohl is a drummer. Anything Dave Grohl is good. Mm. I like, um, man, so many great drummers. There's a lot of great drummers. Uh, let's see. Um, well, how's this? Neil Pert just retired. What did you think of Neil Pert? Oh, Neil, he, he's going to write the forward to my book. Oh, really? Wow. wow. Yeah, we're good friends. Let's say let's say Rush calls and and they said we're going to go on tour. Neil gave us the okay that you could. Oh yeah. You man. could I, now. I'd have to practice a lot. I was going to say, what would it be like to learn that well, set list? With the, what? What would that chart look like? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's it, Kyle. The everybody. Big thing, <laughs> the big thing would be I'd have to spend hours writing everything out, and mm-hmm. I'd have to practice my ass off mm-hmm. because I, I can't memorize that stuff. And I didn't grow up playing it, so right. it would take a long time, a long time. And <clears throat> I'd know going in, there's no way I'm going to sound like Neil Peart. I'm going to play all the notes, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to. My feel is different. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Well, that's interesting. how does that? I was thinking about this going through your discography and everything. How does that work when you have, let's say, a solo artist when not a regular band, but you got Kenny Aronoff on track one, six, and four. Yeah. Then you got Freeze on yeah. three, seven. I mean, that is little, it dictated by the song? Is it dictated by the, no, feel, just call, the availability? <laughs> I don't know. They just call. They just decide. A lot of times they decide they want Kenny would sound great on this song. Mm-hmm. Josh would sound great on this song. Abel Boyle sound great on that song. That's how they do it. They, they cast it, as they say. Yeah, I guess you they know? really do cast it. Yeah. I like Abel Boyle. He's I, great. Yeah, right? man, I yeah. like him. And he's, he's, he always looks like he's having fun, yeah. too, man. Just a big smile Good on his feel, face. Good feeling drummer, yeah. yeah. He just had a solo album out this year. Yeah, he did, yeah. Whose catalog, whose catalog do you like to play when you go on the road? You, I bet the Seeger catalog was so much fun Unbelievable. To play. I mean, oh yeah, because you're playing so many classic hits, mm-hmm. and you're watching sold-out audiences going crazy for them. Joe Cocker's catalog was unbelievable. <laughs> you know, uh, you know Melissa's catalog. When I did Sticks, it was like, oh my god, playing them was it actually was like, wow. Yeah, I would love to hear you play Grand Illusion. Yeah, don't 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 I'd, I'd actually like to hear you play Tonight Tonight by the uh, Pumpkins. I didn't see that tour. Oh, yeah. That must have been fun to play. I love well, the we only did three songs that were covers. Uh, we only did three of the big hits, and one was Bullets to Butterflies. And I oh, kind of really? came up with the arrangement as far as I was trying to be like Marilyn Manson, like that, you know, start off with drums. I had big, huge, big time. 
So you were a Smashing Pumpkins fan because it sounds like you, I was. you lobbied I for this am. job. I still am, man. He's really creative, very intelligent. Uh, very Corgan good. or Chamberlain? Both. both. The, well, Chamberlain and I were good friends. Oh, really? Yeah, right. he's, I love his playing. Um, uh, but Billy, he's wrote in the book too. Nice. He, wrote, he was, because uh, I said, Billy, that was a big, I picked people that it was a big changing moment in my mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, I mean, I, I hope you'd be into it because that was a ch a changing point in my life, and it was significant. And he said some really incredible things. You know? did, did Mr. Mellencamp write in the book for you? He sure did. First guy I called, I said, "John, you got to do it." And they says, well, <laughs> "He's got I'll, to." I'll do. He, he called me. First of all, I, I don't have his number, and when he called, it was <laughs> unidentified. And his manager said. Uh, he says, you better be available to speak to him on this day in these hours. Hey, Ken, it's John. John Malkin. Oh, hi, dude. He says, what's this egomaniac book you're writing about yourself? <laughs> I went, dude. I said, dude, dude, dude. I said, first of all, it's about working hard. It's like how I made it, you know. He says, well, I said, talk about how hard your dad worked. Talk about how hard you worked. Talk about how we worked. We rehearsed in a dog kennel called The Bunker. Mm -hmm. Talk about that shit. That's what I'm into. Mm -hmm. He says, well, I'm going to be... I'm going to be frank. I'm going to tell it how I saw it. I says, tell, you can say that I... That's a shock, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I said, you could say I sucked because even if I sucked... I took suck and turned it around, didn't I? <laughs> so I said, say whatever you want. Let's say... Uh, and he said, he, he, he said, I, was, I wasn't surprised, but he said that when I auditioned, he said I was playing all these notes, but I wasn't. I memorized every note and played only those notes. And uh, I came in with like a huge you know, double bass drum prog fusion kit. And, and he looked at that was like, I mean, I almost... Probably lucky I got to audition. Right. And my car was leaking oil on this thing. He he was like, looked at me and went, and I didn't look cool. He looked at me like, this is the guy that they told was so good. So I played every two songs perfectly. And then Mike, the guitar player, went, John went upstairs and he yells, Mike, get up here. Mike comes down 10 minutes later as I'm packing up. And Mike smiles, shakes my hand, says, Welcome to hell. I'm like, God, what does he mean by that? If uh, let's say two years down the road, Mellencamp calls you and says, "You know what? I'm going to put all the old guys back together. We're going to go on the yeah. road and we're going to play the old catalog the way we used to play it." You're down. Oh, I'd love to do it. That'd be awesome. That would be amazing. That'd be oh, so cool. I saw you on. I saw you guys in, at the Pittsburgh Civic Arena on We've the Scarecrow the Tour. It was Thanksgiving night. Stanley. No, the Civic Arena. I saw Civic. you at the Stanley Theater. Are you from Pittsburgh? I'm from Pennsylvania. Wow. So I saw you Stanley on the, Theater with well, opening I, up for the Kinks. I saw you on the Uh Huh tour at oh, the yeah. Stanley Theater, yeah. but you guys were headlining. That's a cool place. But then I saw you at the Civic Arena. I remember Thanksgiving. The, yeah, on the Scar yeah. Scarecrow, Scarecrow tour. tour. I remember eating Thanksgiving dinner with my family, and I go, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take off." And my parents are like, "Where are you going?" I go, I'm "Going to Pittsburgh." What are you going to Pittsburgh for? You didn't tell us you were going to go see John Mellencamp. It was good shows. So I it's did a, a great cover, show. Cover of uh, Modern Drummer. First cover I ever did with Modern Drummer was guy photographed me from Pittsburgh. I went up. 
on the other side of the river, you know, where that thing goes yeah, up the yeah, 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 yeah. It was over there, eating Thanksgiving. I had Thanksgiving. Did, after the shit concert, I did a cover. I looked, I looked bloodshot eyes. Shoot that picture, you know. And there, um, yeah, man, that was, I remember that. Pittsburgh fans were great. They're the best, man. Now, I don't want, we don't want to keep you much longer, but mm -hmm. when's this book coming out? Book's going to come out in the fall. I'm going to do the final edit, supposedly tomorrow. It's 350 pages. It's basically about a kid growing up in a small town and, um, you know, saw the Beatles on TV mm -hmm. 50 years later. Dreams come true. He's on a podcast. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I got to play with him. <laughs> but the thing is, the, 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 the way, I, it, it, like I said, it's a little obnoxious. I play, it's like, and so I did this, and so I did that, and I played with that guy, and then I met this president, then I met that president, then I did this. And the point is, is that the reason, why, I'm not the most talented drummer in the world, but the reason why I've had this incredible life has come from, you know, that, that self-discipline, hard work, um, you know, when John quit the music business and I only had like enough money to pay for five months of rent and my, and bills and stuff, and I and we yet we were flying around in private jets at the end of the Jubilee tour and stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I was like, I, I I came to L.A. I mean, I just made the moves. Mm -hmm. I thought the glass was half empty. Now I realize it's always full. Wow. It was full because what happened when he said that I basically had to go find work and I had to find, reinvent myself. And I'm reinventing myself right now. I'm doing stuff now. You know, when the music budgets went to hell, I built a studio. I didn't really want to spend, you know, 250, 300 grand and get gear, but I had, it was like, do that or die on the vine. Yeah. So you do what you have to do. And, and, and that attitude is what has kept me uh, relevant and stay and kept me successful nonstop for 40 years. Right. When people said, oh man, he's just the flavor of the month. It's a little chocolate man sticks around you know and so and the book is, and the book's got stories and interviews to see billy corgan interviews in it like i said mellencamp melissa john bon jovi does because that was a significant thing yeah. mm -hmm. big big thing went down there and um and and then they you know there's some drummers that did like uh, taylor hawkins uh, uh um stephen perkins um uh, i think chad smith said something mm -hmm. funny oh what Believe it or not, Tommy Lee said some amazing stuff. That's these those are going to be quotes. Most of those will be quotes on the uh, on the back. Yeah, I think Taylor said something like, "Kenny Aronoff, you want to know about Kenny Aronoff? Turn the radio on." <laughs> something like that. Now, Tommy Lee commented on the size of your crank. Yeah, yeah. He says mine's bigger than yours, and I went, "Yours is bigger than everybody's," and we all know it. No, I, he just said he's just flattering. Like he said, "Boy, I love watching a guy like Kenny come in." Because he saw, I did it in his house at the studio. Come in, make a chart, go in, nail it a couple of times, come out and says, that you got it now. And he says, but then he plays all these different styles. Mm. Yeah. He plays any style you throw at him. I'm looking at just the the list I brought of your, you got Brian Wilson, Michael Sweet, uh, yeah. Lyle Lovett, Paul Westerberg, Iggy Pop, you know, John Fogarty. It's crazy. It's Malachi. crazy. Iggy Pop to Neil Diamond right yeah, there. Yeah. You're covering B.B. King yeah. to Johnny Cash. Wow. Yeah. The thing is, is that... Um, that was one thing I wanted to always do is I made and I was made fun of it when I was a little kid because I like to play every style. And the thing is is that a lot of people want to pigeonhole you as one thing. But somehow I was fortunate to break that mold for myself. And so that's made it I mean, man, I started a whole career in Nashville. I could drive to Nashville from Indiana. Yeah. Four and a half hours, fly to LA in four and a half hours. It was either drive or fly. I had sets everywhere. Oh, that's great. New York, LA, and Nashville. Now Indiana. 
obviously uh, you're a drummer, so that uh, that keeps you in shape. But you are in amazing shape. What else do you do? Well, I lift weights. I do cardio. <laughs> okay, you do. You're, okay. Eight, are you veg- vegetarian? You any vegan? No, no I you eat, eat. fucking meat. But I eat a lot of vegetables. All right. A lot of vegetables. Start my morning with a, with a protein, mm-hmm. vegan and uh, whey protein, uh, the best quality you can get. Like a uh, shake. Yeah, green okay. food, coconut milk, no juice. I put some blueberries in for antioxidants. And uh, I'll either put a scoop of peanut butter or a scoop of coconut oil. The sugar and the fat curtail your 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 hunger. And then I'd have two espressos, and then <clears throat> maybe a couple hours later I'll have two, you know two poached eggs on gluten-free toast. You know, and and my my snacking going wild is like cherries, you know, <laughs> organic cherries or popcorn. all right, rock star life. Take yeah. it down. Take it down. There's, there's eight things. A healthy life is a wealthy life. At this point in my game, now that I'm 26, I think, you know, you have to, you know, I lift weights. I have a gym in my house. I lift weights. I do cardio. Right now, I'm feeling a little flabby. Oh, I'm not kidding. Yeah, but I'm. That's, that looks rough. Yeah. Uh, true true I, or false, Kenny? I'm going to pull Jimmy mm-hmm. Pardo here. True or false? When Fat and I first became friends, I texted him saying, "I'm watching Kenny Aronoff, and that guy is in better shape than you and I were at 22." Yeah. <laughs> Probably. And I said, Where, "Where's that? I want to turn the channel on." Exactly. You're also in an upcoming documentary. Uh, Hired Gun. But who did it? Francesco or Fran Strine? Oh, is right. that his name? That's Hired right. Guns. Yeah. Hired Guns. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm in Hired Guns. I'm one of the main guys. I'm flying. I'm going to South by Southwest to show people I was in it. I guess. But yeah, it's it's about the hired gun, um, and it's it's uh, about people that are hired. The, you know, the best players in my position. Yeah. It you know the studio and live. And, uh, you know, I mean, I didn't get into the heavy stuff, but, you know, there's the playing drums, but I have a very strong philosophy about success. This is basically seven things, you know. Mm-hmm. I've talked about some self-discipline, hard work, fueled by passion, education, you know, you know, setting a goal, creating a plan, executing. A lot of people get paralyzed. Mm-hmm. And I say, you know, if you don't make a move, that means you did nothing. Nothing equals nothing. And, you know, things like, you know, health, like I told you, a healthy life is a wealthy life. I yeah. have eight steps of being healthy. And these things, I lived most of my life by, uh, by, by emotion, you know. I mean, intellect and emotion. But, but now that I'm older, and I learned this from my twin brother, who's a doctor, is that I try Identical to twin? Identical twin. Oh, yeah, he gets nailed all the time, that poor guy. He sees people come at him and said, what drum set do you play? <laughs> they go how did you know that I, says, I, can, I can tell in <laughs> your face that me. you think I'm Kenny <laughs> and then, uh, no, do you he, get people going can you look at this scar right here no, is that healing no, alright it's right? a shrink dude alright can you look at this emotional scar <laughs> yeah. and see if <laughs> his basic answer is you're all fucked <laughs> no, but he said and I like this he said live by your values don't live by your emotions and make big decisions in other words of course you you if you live by your values, it's almost like putting a commandment on the wall. No matter what mood you're in, if you believe in boundaries for certain things, mm-hmm. follow those fucking boundaries, whether you're in a good mood or a bad mood. When you're having a decision about what should I do and you're basing it on emotions, well, then one day you're going to feel, well, it's okay to murder today. But next day you say, why would you want to murder somebody? Mm-hmm. That's an extreme thing, everybody. I would never <laughs> murder anybody. But you, let's, okay, let's say this. Let's say you're raising kids. And you set a rule. The rule is at 9 o'clock, no TV. Bottom line. I don't care. Yeah. Okay. 
You put that as your value system. It's it, you got to unwind. Right. No TVs, no iPods, no iPads, mm-hmm. no iPhones. Nothing. It, you read a book. Let's just say that's your value yeah. system. The next day, if all of a sudden saying, "Oh man, my kid's he's kind of bummed out." Okay, you can watch the TV, the iPad. You're telling the kid that it's good one day and it's not the next. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're not. That's te- not teaching somebody about rules, regulations, and boundaries, which when they step in the real world, they need to understand that that exists out there yeah, and that you're not going to get coddled. <laughs> cannot stand that, coddled kids. I don't know if I want you to be my dad or if I don't want you to no, be my dad. No, you'd love it because the rewards are great too. <laughs> oh, okay. But you see, the values, you, re, you, re, you, re, you, re, you let the values dictate what you're going to tell your kid. Just, I, I mean, this thing, I'm going to say this one thing. Man, you can tell, like, man, but the kid <laughs> goes to college. This is Kurt Newman tells me it's from the Bodines. Mm-hmm. His daughter's in class at Baylor, which is a great college. Mm-hmm. Girl gets a D on the paper, stands up, says to the teacher, I, you, I got a D on my paper. He says, that's right. Well, I, I shouldn't get a D. He says, well, you, you did D work. <laughs> she's on the phone talking to her mom, says, talk to my mom. If I was a teacher, I would have taken the phone and thrown it right against the wall and stepped on it. Mm-hmm. Says, I don't want to talk to your fucking mom. I'm talking to you. You did yeah. D work, you get a D. It's that simple. Do better. Yeah, nothing to do I don't with believe that people should all, everybody on the team should get trophies. Oh, yeah. uh, if you lose, I mean, just because you show up. I know what they're trying to do, but you got to learn that you, if you didn't win, then you better do something to try to win. And not everybody's going to win. Sorry, folks. The real world is like that. You know, my brother's coaching. Of course he coaches, you know, these soccer teams. Parents come in, there's some kid out in the field is not playing real good. He's not a real good player. But their kid who's a star is sitting in bench. Why isn't my kid playing? Because your kid didn't follow the rules. Mm-hmm. Well, my kid's better. I said, your kid didn't follow the rules. Now sit down. You're not following the rules either. Don't talk to the coach when he's coaching your kids. Your kid did push-ups and ran eight laps because he didn't follow the rules I told him. That was the first thing I told him from day one. There are rules, we follow them. If you don't follow them, these are the consequences. Right. Value systems, they're on the wall. These are consequences. And man, that stuff is is important. I, I listen, I have a four-year-old right now and I watch all that stuff go down and it just irritates, just no yeah, consequences for other parents. They're like, just it's like, unbelievable. Biting your tongue. and how many, uh, I know. how many kids do you have? Kenny? I have one. Uh, boy or girl? Boy, thirty-one. Does he have a musical ability? Yeah, he's a badass drummer. He just decided. How he, do you learn? How do you get involved in drums? He just wa- watched. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, real quick, uh, I think after this book, I think you have a self-help book. In I you. do have. I think one. you have. As a, soon as this is done, yeah. I am writing that. Oh, you are writing yeah. it. Oh yeah, I already know. You don't. This guy doesn't stop. Fashion he, book? Got a fashion book? You got a good. You got a good look. I do have a look. It took me a long time. I did not have a look. I was nerdy. I didn't care about look. You know, I'm obviously a workaholic. I mean, that's why I had two divorces. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, I say it in the book, you know. But that was a tricky part to write. Because I, 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 I really, really like my ex-wives. Mm-hmm. It just is, I, I was wired a workaholic. You know, mm-hmm. everything, including my son, my wives, everything came second. Mm-hmm. My career came first. I mean, it's just what it is. That's why I got divorced. So I said in the book, like, hey, listen, if you're gone 11 months a year, you're not home, you're not present in your in your marriage, and one other factor, you're not monogamous. <laughs> oh, didn't mention that. <laughs> yeah. it, that is not a good equation for a great relationship. 
Are you married now? Yes, I am. And, I'm and, a monogamous man. I love that you, girl. And you're doing, and you're, but you're still a workaholic too, though. I am, and 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 it's taken an adjustment on, on her part. But you know, her birthday was March six. Mine was March seven. On her birthday, what was she doing? She's learned from me. She was doing macrobiotics and statistics for this degree she's going for. And on my birthday, I was reading 350 pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, trying to edit this book. Yeah. But um, you did it together. You were next to each yeah. other. Yeah. But I mean, she's way more balanced than me. And, uh, and, and, and I'm trying to sacrifice certain things at certain times. Like, I'm going to go back. I, sh- I need to practice some songs, but I'm going to crack open a bottle of wine and massage her until she passes out and then sneak downstairs and work for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you do it. But she comes first until she passes out. Uh, uh, you give lessons, don't you? I, I give I lessons I when I have time. Sure. I, do. I was going to yeah, say, where do you find time? To... I rarely do, but you know they're expensive. I mean, they're expensive, but they, I, I'll do it when I'm at the studio. I'll, you mm-hmm. know, they come in. Do you do it over Skype or anything like I that? I can do that? that. Yeah, I do Skype lessons. Mm-hmm. Oh, I owe cool. somebody a Skype lesson right now, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and uh, and uh, yeah, I, I'll do it. And I do. I got a drum a drum clinic coming up and I, I have a speaking thing I do. I don't want to be considered like a speaker speaker, but I'm like a, I have a, a one man show called Eating with Kenny Aronoff. It's performing and it's basically some of the stuff we've been talking about mm-hmm. and it's basically telling my story but helping people become the best they can be at whatever they do. It doesn't matter if you're a housewife to, uh, you know, uh, president of a company. It's, it's, this is my story. This is how I yeah. did it. Mm-hmm. This is, this is what you can do we all can do, you know, things like, you know, you can always eat better. You can always be healthier. Listen, when I say health, I'm talking about mental, physical, and emotional health. Right. And dude, when you're starting to get up there, those things are going to keep you. Do you want to retire at 60 or at 90? I'm a 90 guy. <laughs> or at least have the choice. Have the choice. I was going to say, it's a choice. You know? So, yeah, I do that. It's called Evening with Kenny Aronoff, and that is, I'm going to be doing more and more of that. I do it in theaters, mm-hmm. do it in corporations and People want whoever want to hire me. An evening with Kenny Aronoff. An evening with. Kenny I thought you were saying eating with Kenny Aronoff. That too. That'd you, be fun. You have That's too. Dis- <laughs> you have dispelled the rumor that drummers uh, can be lunkheads because they just beat stuff for a living. You yeah. are. You are a very intelligent man. Thank you. I thank you for coming here today. You. We can. You have a website, KennyAronoff.com. Yep. And then the Uncommon Studios. LA is my studio website. And you're on Twitter at Aronoff Official. Oh yeah, Aronoff Official. It's it's busting right now of high numbers and yeah, it's uh, yeah, follow me at Twix. I'm posting all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Cool. I brought uh, I brought 3 CDs if you'll sign them for our listeners. That would yeah. be cool. And uh, Kenny, thank you so much for being it. here today. And come back when your book comes out. Yeah, come well, back. Yeah, it'll be out in the fall. That's Hal Leonard. Yeah, it's called. Oh, you want the title is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna love I, this. I know what it is because I think I saw Sex, you tweet. Drums and rock and roll, <laughs> hardest hitting man in showbiz. <laughs> now. Um, right now, I'm trying to write what sex is in the book because I th- feel like I need to clarify. It's not just about banging chicks, although I had that. That was a long. I had that. <laughs> we had the bar, and we heard the bar on the on the video. And, yep, uh, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it's so good video. We got it. Banging. Well, the thing chicks. is, is that sex, drum, playing drums is sexual. I mean, it's just it's mental, it's physical, it's emotional, it's 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 all this thing. I spent most of my career flirting with my that front. The, you know, people in the front row, yeah. or the front couple of rows, and 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 it's you know, it's it's that's a big part of drumming. It's this sexy kind of physical thing, and uh, and you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll—it's a phrase. Like like, let's party, let's rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just feel like I'm going to keep the drug thing out of it. Sex, drums, and rock and roll—it's like 
it's it's a, it's a term of celebration and wildness and rebellion and mm -hmm. but not anything harmful you know <laughs> in my book you know well when your book comes out i'm going to get a, a bunch of copies yeah. and i'm going to get in contact with you and have them sign them and i'll give those to the listeners too and you're looking at two dudes who are looking forward to it too yeah, yeah. absolutely so a, we're always a lot of heavy shit in it it's yeah 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 putting people in prison things like that oh the, uh, get to that. <laughs> I got scammed and I had to put him in prison. We we're on Twitter at Rock Solid Show. I'm at Pat underscore Francis Murray. Where can we find you on I'm Twitter? At, at Murray V, and I got all my road dates coming up on MurrayValeriano.com. Cool. And Kyle, you are at Kyle Dotson Funny. Yes. Do you have any comedy shows coming up, Kyle? Uh, maybe like April first. You're a comedian. Yeah, you've been cracking me up, man. He's like, <laughs> he's like a marshmallow over there. Why even comedian. move? If you're a comedian, that's the best thing. You should come out and just like not move. I start laughing. I'd be so nervous because you didn't move. That's comedy. Our our playout song for today is from Bruce Kulick's album BK3, and the reason I'm playing a song called Between the Lines is because it features Bruce, who was a guest, features Steve Lukather, who was a guest, oh, yeah. and it features Kenny Aronoff. Look at that, Kenny. That's awesome. This has been great. Awesome. I so appreciate you, you coming here. Yep. And let's hear a little bit of Between the Lines on Definitely Rock Solid. Definitely thank you for finding the time. Yeah, oh, thanks. you're welcome.